I'll be reading Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Good morning. This is the first day of the week. This is the day in which Christ rose from the dead, and it's always a blessing to be together, to be able to worship in spirit and truth. So this month we've been looking at the subject of love, haven't we? We talked about loving your neighbor. We looked at scriptures about that and the extent of that, loving your neighbor as yourself. And it's the second lesson. The third lesson last week was loving our enemy. And I think it's good to conclude this week with the love of Christ. And I think we can see the love of Christ when we think about Jesus' crucifixion and him dying for us and how Jesus says there's no greater love than one for to lay down his life for another. But I want you to listen to Jesus and look at some of his words. And some of them that Garrett just read for us right now demonstrate the tough love of Jesus. Jesus said some things that I think the world today would not consider to be politically correct. They would not like what he says. He would not be a very good politician today. However, the things that he says are truth, and he has a way of lovingly confronting those around us in a way, in the right way, to help us to come back and to follow him and to do so diligently. That when we say we're going to follow Christ, we know that means laying down our life. It's not something we do just a little bit of. It takes all of us in doing that. And we want to look at these scriptures this morning and be encouraged by that. We know the love of Christ. We know that he loved us while we were yet sinners. Romans 5 and verse 8. In fact, Romans chapter 8, the, the very last verses there, tells us there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That's what's called the unconditional love of God. We may sin, we may do wrong, God still loves us. That doesn't mean that we are saved. If you're saved, you're going to faithfully, obediently follow Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who are saved who will have eternal life. But God does love all. Jesus has a tough love. One of the texts that I was studying last semester in my courses in counseling talked about how counseling is this. It's confrontational love. It's the person who's willing to come to you and speak to you in a way that corrects you, in a way that admonishes you. They can rebuke you. You probably had somebody in your family. If you're a parent or if you were ever born <laughs> and you have a father and a mother and they've ever corrected you, you know what it's like to have loving correction or a loving rebuke. I know that with my kids, you know, they, they know that when I get onto them, I love them, but at the same time, I've got to correct them. I've got to set them straight. And I think that's a wonderful feeling. You know, sometimes I didn't feel more loved by my parents than when they paid me the attention to correct me. And to do that, let's say, Scott, what you did was wrong. I very vividly remember one Thanksgiving sitting around with family and making a smart comment in front of, you know what I mean by smart, in front of the rest of the men in the family. My dad looked at me. And he looked me right in the eyes and he said, you come talk with me. And he took me out to where the washing machine and dryer was. And uh, I don't remember how long that lecture lasted. But 
I felt loved. I felt humbled as well, but I felt loved. And he put me in my place. And I love that about Jesus. And I love that about God. And I can open my Bible and I have someone like Jesus who could put me in my place. He tells me where I need to be. And we need Christians around us who can do that or we're honest with them and open with them that we'll allow them to correct us. There's no better example of confrontational love than Jesus. And we look at Jesus, there's things you can think about, the things that he said that will stand out to you. When I look throughout the scriptures, I see a lot of Christ's love, but I see a lot of that tough love as well. Jesus will not bend the truth to make you happy, to make you feel more comfortable. He's not going to say, you know what? I know you're committing that sin. That's okay. Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way to the Father except by me. He will not hide that truth. He will not permit sin. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus gives a list of sins. He says in the very beginning of Mark chapter 7, if you go and read that, he says, these are things that are evil, and they come from the heart of men. And if you read that list and you could say none of those things have ever been in your heart, I'd like to meet you. He says, these are the things that come from the heart of men. And then at the end, again, he calls them evil. Today, you can't stand up and tell people that fornication is evil, not politically, not uh, in a lot of arenas. We could do it right now. We could talk about God's word. A lot of people would not hear that. Fornication is all sex outside of marriage. And Jesus says, that is evil. He says at the beginning, he says it at the end, he makes it clear. He doesn't hide it. You can read a list of other sins and things that he brings out right there in Mark 7 as well. Jesus does not hide the judgment. So you have some churches today, these big churches where the preachers come in and they tell everybody, everybody be good. God wants everything that you want to do in life to be successful. No matter what you do in your life, you're going to end up in eternal life in heaven or however they might put it. That kind of soft preaching does not describe Jesus. Jesus talked about the judgment day. He said, only those who do the will of my Father will inherit and come into the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 7. I love that Christ does that, but we need brothers and sisters around us who are willing to say, I'm not going to bend the truth. I'm not going to change the definition of what sin is. I'm not going to overlook that there's going to be a day of judgment. I'm going to warn you and do it so lovingly. And then we see this. Jesus did not hide the fact that hell existed. There's a place called Gehenna, where hell was reading the scriptures is a place of bodily torment, fire, and gnashing of teeth. It's a real place. Christ spoke of it more than anybody else. When we look at Jesus, we can see him, and I think he demonstrates love in Matthew 23. This is, I don't think Matthew 23 is an example that you should follow every time somebody makes you angry or you think they're doing something wrong. But in Matthew 23, at the end of Jesus' life, he addresses the Pharisees. You ever read Matthew 23? He says, you brood of vipers, you sons of Satan, you hypocrites. Christ had to expose them openly. And I think I see a lot of love there. Sometimes we need to be called out and be done in such a way. That's the only way to reach them. In fact, as you continue to read in the book of Acts, many of the Pharisees, most of them, became Christians. I bet some of them were right there and heard Jesus say those things to them. You think about Jesus' love? Do you think about Jesus flipping over tables, driving out people in the temple? I do. See the love of Christ, he would not compromise. He would not give up the truth. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 10. And in verse 34, you have kind of that shocking statement there. 
that many people would say today, if you were to ask someone on the street, did Jesus come to this world to bring peace or a sword? Most people would say peace, right? Jesus says, I came to bring a sword. Of course, he's not talking about war or violence or conflict. What he's saying here, and if you look it up over in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 12 and verse 51, he's saying, I came to bring the gospel, and because I'm the Christ, there's going to be a division. There's going to be a division in households and among families. I want you to look at this with me. Matthew chapter 10, if you have your Bible, about three-fourths of the way through your Bible, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10, and look in verses 34 and following, 34 to 39. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Those are tough words there. And Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, if you take up your cross, if you lose your life for my sake, even in your own family, there's going to be divisions. There might become a time in your life that your son or daughter drifts away. Are you going to follow them? They may go to a church that doesn't follow the Scriptures. They may leave the faith completely. In my experience, I've seen parents do that, follow their children off to wherever they say or whatever they believe. Jesus says there comes a point of division here that if you're going to stand and you're going to follow me, there's going to be a separation between father and son and daughter and mother, daughter-in-law and mother-in-law. He warns of this. There's no straddling the fence with Christ. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. I encourage you this morning, though, when we read these words and we hear Jesus' warning here, I still hear the love of Christ. I hear him saying, listen, the only way, the best way to live your life is to follow me, to give your life up completely. And it's true. You might hear the words this morning. Someone might hear them say, you know what? I don't want to follow Jesus. I've heard some strange people say, you know, Jesus talked about hell and I don't want to follow him. I've heard people say that. But when you really think about it, you have no other option. And you have no better way to live than to give your life up to Christ. This morning, if you're sitting here, I hope you listen to the words of Christ. That you're looking up these scriptures. That you're taking notes. That you're thinking and you're contemplating about your own life. Have I been listening to Christ? Am I willing to make a stand in my own family? I know what it's like to go home for the holidays and have members of your family who are not faithful not following Christ. I know what it's like to have the courage to be able to address them and to talk to them about what they believe. That's tough love. And I believe Christ sets the example for us. There's no other way but to follow him. Jesus did not hide the truth. He did not hide the consequences of evil. He spoke about the day of judgment. Listen to what Christ says here in Matthew 13. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Those are the words of Christ. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This passage reminds me of the glorification of, of the righteous here in the kingdom of God. It reminds me of Daniel 12 and verse 2. 
something. Daniel says there's going to be a resurrection, and those who are righteous are going to rise up, and they're going to be bright as stars. They're going to be glorified. But Jesus as well did not hold back the same as what Daniel did. Daniel said there's going to be an eternal condemnation. Jesus did not hide that at all. There's a fiery furnace. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is truth and is just for those who reject Christ and reject his love. Yet I see Jesus' love in this event. I see Jesus warning people to listen to the truth, to not leave him. I want to also look at this morning in Luke chapter 14. Look at some observations here that we as Christians need to take from Luke 14, verses 25 to 35. Luke 14, 25 to 35. This is now great crowds accompanying him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all you who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. When I was at uh, Fried Hardeman, I remember my, one of my professors, he's a missionary from Cameroon, Africa. He said he used to, they'd drive around in this big flatbed truck and he would drive from village to village. And when they'd get to the village, he would simply part the truck and get out there in the back of the flatbed, open up his Bible and start preaching. And people would come out and they would gather around. And he said he would, you know, you baptize dozens of people just doing that every day. He said the problem was is that so many of them would be baptized, but then they'd fall away and they'd never remain faithful. He started adding something to all of his lessons that he preached when he preached like that. He started preaching the passage we just read from Luke 14 about counting the cost, about the person who's going to build a tower. He sits down first and he counts the cost, about the, the, the king who's going to go to war. He first counts the cost to the men and to the kingdom. He makes sure that he can do it. And Christ's point here is this to us. Before we become a Christian, before we commit ourselves to him, we do need to sit down. And as that missionary did, he urged people Count the cost. This morning, I encourage you to do that. You listen to Christ and you listen to his tough love right here. Count the cost. There may come a time where there be division between you and a family member, between you and friends, the people that are closest to you, when you're going to have to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe his words are true. I believe there's a day of judgment coming. The only way to be saved is through him. I found it fascinating that missionary told me, he said when he started preaching like that, his retention rate of keeping people in the church went from 50% to 95%. In other words, don't come and become a Christian. Don't become baptized if you're not willing to give everything up. Those are strong words. He said that the words didn't hinder anybody from obeying the gospel, but it did keep many in the church. We need to listen to Christ and listen to his tough love. Some observations here. To follow Christ means that Jesus comes before your family and your own life. The Greek word for life here means soul. The Greek word suke 
It often has, it means like your personal life, your breath, the life you're living now. I know sometimes we think of soul, we think about our spirit. That's not usually how the word's used in the New Testament. But Jesus comes before your own soul, your own life, and your family. Jesus also, he expects us to sit down to count the cost, and he expects us to meet the demand. We cannot compromise that. He makes it clear. And Christ required that anyone who follow him, that you must renounce all things to follow him. You can't say, well, I'm going to keep some of this, keep some of my work, keep some of my old life, the way that I used to do things. And I'll, I'll, I'll continue to believe in Jesus as well and come to church when I can. That's not what Christ asked for. He says it's going to cost you everything. I want you to consider this as well. The context to Luke chapter 14 about counting the cost There's a parable given right before that. And I think many people will, they try to find satisfaction and fulfillment in their life, in their work, in their marriage, and in their children. And sometimes they feel like they have enough, and sometimes they're very disappointed in what happens in their life. The truth is the only way you're going to have full and complete fulfillment and the blessings of God, the fulfillment of love, the fulfillment of significance and purpose, the only person who completely can do that for you is God. And I can tell you from experience that you can try to fill in gaps and you can try to come up with, you know, I, I, I join this organization and I do good deeds on the weekend and I can I go run marathons to raise money and you can stack up all your works and everything you try to do to make you feel like a fulfilling person and you can say, I, I do all this and I contribute all this money and I give all this to Goodwill or whatever kind of charity you can think of. None of that is going to bring fulfillment to your life if you don't have God in Christ. I want you to look at here at the context of some of the excuses that were made in Luke chapter 14. Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet here. He says this in verse 16, And a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. What's he saying there? I have work. I have investments. I don't have time to come to your banquet. Verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. I've got to travel. I've got work plans. I'm always on the road right now. I've invested in this, this, this new uh, income, this new source that's going to come in for me, this new work. He makes an excuse. Using his work again. Verse 20, and another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So here he says, I'm married. I have a family. I can't come to the banquet now. And we know what this parable is saying. It's telling us that we need to be very careful about what we do, the excuses we make about our work, about our family, even using our own spouses to do that. Verse 21, So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And when the master of the house became angry, and he said to the servant, go out and quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges. So now don't just go to the city, go to the country and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus is here. He's saying to those who are around, I invite you to the feast. Come now. And many of them were making excuses, saying, I can't come. 
I got too much going on in my life. Uh, the master sends out to bring in, in anybody. And again, Christ does the same. He wants us to come to his church. He wants us to be a part of his body. He died for you. He laid down his life for you, and he rose again to give you eternal life. He asks you to give your life. Why? Because this life is temporary. It won't last forever. You don't know today if you'll be able to make it home this afternoon or you'll wake up tomorrow. You need to make your life right today. You need to count the cost. Many have the ability to come to the feast, and again, they make excuses. Many Christians do that. I ask you this morning, count the cost of your priorities, the things that you put above God. In John 6 and verse 27, Jesus said, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And again, Christ says, Don't put work above me. And it's worth it. And tell you this morning, to give your life as a living sacrifice, as Paul says in Romans 12, 1, it's worth it. I encourage this morning, give your life to Christ. I give you this challenge. Study Jesus in the gospel. Read his words. Look at his tough love there, the love that comes with confrontation. See that he has brought a sword and that you do need to count the cost. Confront sin in a way among yourself and those around you and do in a way that you show love to them. Where if you do correct somebody, they come away saying, I know that person loves me and they want the best for me. Follow the example of Christ. And lastly, do not be ashamed of the words of Christ. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me and of my words, I will be ashamed of you on the day of judgment. Don't be ashamed of Christ and the things that he said and the things that we have read today. This morning, I give you the invitation if you're not a Christian. Being a Christian means that you are a follower of Christ. It means you are totally committed to him to listen to his commandments, to observe all the things that he has commanded. In fact, Matthew chapter 28 teaches us that. It says you're going to become a disciple of Christ, the follower of Christ, you've got to be baptized. After you're baptized, you've got to observe all things that he has commanded. There may be some here this morning who've been baptized. You've had a previous baptism, but you know that it wasn't right and it wasn't complete. In Acts chapter 19, Paul comes across a number of men who've been baptized in John's baptism, but not in the baptism that Jesus instituted in his name. Jesus had a baptism in his name that was for the remission of sins, for which someone is saved when someone partakes of the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. A lot of churches teach some strange things about baptism. I encourage you this morning, if you haven't been baptized the way that the scriptures say, you need to read and see that, see the truth. And in this case, these men were baptized again in a complete baptism. This morning, I encourage you, count the cost. You need to be baptized, repent, and believe. Come to Christ. This morning, if you need prayers and encouragement, we want to do that. We want to encourage you. Please come right now while we stand and while we sing.